Moses gives the people the commandments he has received from the Lord. These laws describe the people's duty toward God and their obligations to one another. A reading from the book of Exodus. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkeys or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled, and stood a distance, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you, and to put the fear of him upon you, so that you do not Sin. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. The psalm appointed for this morning is Psalm 19 at the bottom of page 3 in your service leaflet. Will you please stand as we sing together?
Please be seated. Paul contends that his qualifications for being a teacher of the faith count for nothing compared to knowing the risen Christ. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider what I have made it, that I have made it on my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward, excuse me, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get the inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eye. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds, because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Do you remember seeing Cecil Bill B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments? It came out in 1956. It received rave reviews as an epic film with outstanding special effects. Can you remember scenes from the film? Even though I was a child, and probably because I was a child at the time, there are scenes I will not forget. I remember the fear I felt when the green ghost-like angel of death began slithering through the city like a snake. I can still hear the screams of the people as the firstborn in every family died. I remember the scene when Moses held up his staff and the waters rose on each side. I could feel his hope and expectation that God was going to provide for their escape. Then there is the climactic scene in which God thunders and the words of the Ten Commandments are miraculously inscribed on the tablets of stone by God's long, skinny finger. This is a great story, and it was an impressive film. I really like this part of the Old Testament because the descriptors used 
the cloud by day, the fire by night, thunder, lightning, mountains that shake violently, portray a God of love and power in images that we can understand. God revealed his power to save these people, first from the Egyptians and then from the perils of the desert. Through great thunder, fire, and smoke, God called this people to be a special people and in the Ten Commandments revealed to them how they are to transform their lives together in community. The people were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance from Mount Sinai and their God. This same God had saved them from sure disaster and now offered them the way to a new life as his chosen people. So why were they afraid? When I think of this scene, I am reminded of how I responded when I began to identify the call to the priesthood. I felt wonderful about the promises, but I was terrified at the same time. We have many times in our lives when the promise of good things is coupled with fear. When someone makes the decision to get married, the excitement runs high, but so does the fear. When a couple decides to have a child, there is untold joy, but there is also trepidation. Sometimes goodness God's goodness to us can be so overwhelming that we are afraid. We are in awe. There are times when it seems life has us cornered. We feel torn between the promise of a good outcome and the fear of the responsibility. I remember very well the decision I was a part of for my friend Jane. I had known Jane for about 25 years. She was about 10 years younger than I and not closely connected to her family of origin. Jane developed a brain tumor. She had surgery and seemed to do well for about four years. Then the cancer returned with a vengeance. She became unresponsive and decisions had to be made for her. <clears throat> Was it time for hospice care? I don't know if you have ever been faced with that kind of decision. I was asked to help make a decision for someone else that involved a kind of treatment, yes, but was also a statement that I knew Jane was going to die. The good I would do was to relieve her suffering. The fear I felt was the magnitude of the decision for Jane and for all of us close to her.
This was, for me, a time of what I call holy fear. There was good, but there was fear. On a lighter note, the offer of a new exciting job, possibly in a new city, can cause us to feel that holy fear, the mixture of goodness and trepidation. Do I take the opportunity to advance my career and possibly change my life forever? Or do I stay with the comfort I feel in my old job and with my friends and attachments? The goodness of the opportunity includes the fear of the changes, the fear of the unknown. Even smaller, simpler decisions can involve this holy fear. Deciding to attend services in a new church produces happy expectations, but also fears of being rejected or not fitting in. Showing up for an AA meeting holds promise for recovery and fears of embarrassment. For me, the call to the priesthood was a time when I experienced holy fear. From a young age, I have felt the pull toward a religious vocation. I rejected the call at different times in my life because I was afraid. If I said yes to God, well, I did not know what God might ask me to do. In my first year of classes at the Episcopal School for Ministry, after one particular writing assignment, I felt literally filled with unbelievable joy. It was as if God's grace, God's goodness to me, could not be ignored. The joy I felt came not from me, but from God. Then I had some reckoning to do. What would a decision to become a priest mean for me? How would I manage the training? How would my mate receive the news? Believe me, there was holy fear all over the place. There was a specific point in time, however, when I faced the goodness of God's promises to me and the fears about what it would mean. It was sort of like taking medicine. I closed my eyes, swallowed hard, and said, Okay, God, let's go for it. When one stops to think about it, each of us takes a similar step of faith when we make our promises to God in baptism. Read the baptismal vows again, very thoughtfully. When I think about them, I feel like the cliche, there's danger in them, they're hills. Holy promises of salvation in baptism and holy fears of what it will mean. In the Sinai Desert, God formed a people through terrible events like killing babies, 
and majestic events like the parting of the sea. God gave them the law to guide their behavior in community. Seldom do we hear God in the thunder or see God in fire, but God's revelation is as powerful now as it was for the Israelites. We are already God's people, the body of Christ. God is already involved in our life together. We are called to live in a special way, God's way, to love and care for one another according to the law of God. We are called, like the people of Israel, to change the world in some small way. Perhaps in one relationship at a time. When we succeed, when we come together in communion with God and with one another, we participate in the divine nature. Even if it is only for a brief moment, the goodness and the joy we experience is so profound that it should give us a little moment of awe, of holy fear. Amen.